Well, let's begin our time together by seeking the Lord's help. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Almighty God, we are very thankful for a further opportunity to meet together in this place of worship. We are thankful to His on the Lord's day that you have so worked in our hearts, you have constrained us to be here. We pray then, Lord, that you will come and bless us. We pray that we may know the felt sense and presence and power of the Holy Spirit as we read and consider your word as we sing the hymns of praise and truth. Lord, come and bless each and every one of us here this morning, we beseech you. We are thankful for this opportunity. We pray, Almighty God, that in your grace and mercy, you will bless it to each one of us. And we ask that in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 26. O bless the Lord my soul, let all within me join and aid my tongue to bless his name, whose favours are divine. Hymn number 26.
portions of scripture to read this morning. The first one is found in second letter or second book of Samuel, chapter fourteen. Two Samuel chapter fourteen. <clears throat> Two Samuel chapter 14, and we'll read from verse 28. Absalom has been brought back into the city to be near his father, but longs to meet with his father again. Verse 28. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have sent to him the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent the second time, he would not come. Therefore he said unto his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. So Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come to Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself, bowed his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now turn over with me to Matthew's Gospel and we'll read part of chapter 21. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. (coughs) And we'll begin reading at verse 21. And when they draw near unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, there sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. (coughs) And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek, sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast all of them 
that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and were healed, sorry, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and went out of the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth for ever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye say unto this mountain, Be thou moved, that it shall be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Well, may God bless the reading of his word to us. And now let's sing our second hymn this morning together. Hymn number 52. When morning gilds the skies, my heart, my heart awaking cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. Alike at work in prayer, to Jesus I repair. May Jesus Christ be praised. Hymn number 52.
pray together. Almighty God, we have met together on this, the Lord's Day, and our desire is that the Lord Jesus Christ may be praised. We have so much to thank and praise you for, and we desire to come into your presence in public worship, even this morning, to come and bring our prayers and petitions and our praises before you, to acknowledge what a wonderful work of grace and salvation you have done in so many hearts of those who are here. And as we said in our opening prayer, that wonderful grace that has been made so powerful in our lives, that has transformed our lives and is continuing to transform our lives, and has put a desire in our hearts on this the Lord's day to be found amongst the Lord's people here in the Lord's house. Left to ourselves, we would be anywhere. We would be like the thousands and millions around us who take no thought for your day, no thought for worship. And so we acknowledge your goodness to us and your grace in so dealing with us. We would not be here were it not for that omnipotent power that has worked in your heart. We pray then, Almighty God, that we may be given attentive minds this morning and that our hearts may be warmed as we consider the things of God, even from your scriptures, your word. We pray, Lord, for each and every one here that you bless each and every one of us. We have different needs we have different concerns, we have different anxieties, different fears, different doubts. We pray, Almighty God, that your word will speak to each and every one of us even this day and that we may have left this place this evening, God willing, saying it was good for us to have met together with the Lord. Almighty God, we may be able left to ourselves to go through two services today in a mechanical or a perfunctory way. We pray, Lord, that you will not permit us to do that, that we may sense something of your presence amongst us, something of the power of the Holy Spirit in each of our hearts this day. We pray, Lord, that we may be able to leave this building this evening with the, the word on our lips, it was good that we met together. Lord, there is nothing in our own human ability that can bring that about. We pray then in your grace and mercy you will so descend in your omnipotent power and do that mighty work amongst us. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come and work in our hearts even this day. Lord, many of us week by week and month by month pray for a mighty outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we pray for that, Lord, on this meeting in this church here this morning. Come, Lord, bless us with these things, we pray. We come with nothing in our hands to bring. We have no offering that is acceptable for you. We come only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how thankful we are that we have that testimony that the Lord Jesus Christ now is seated at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. So we come to God our Father through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ interceding on our behalf, praying that our triune God would send his Holy Spirit even amongst us to do that omnipotent work, to touch every one of our hearts even this morning. And whatever our concerns, whatever our background, whatever days lay in front of us which are wisely hidden from us, we come with a desire to commit our way unto you and pray, Almighty God, that you will use us and bless us for the furtherance of your kingdom, 
for the building up and encouragement of each other and for a blessing for each and every one. Lord, we do pray for our own country at this time in political turmoil. We pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon our nation, a nation that in years gone by has been singularly blessed. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up godly men and godly women, those who fear your name, those who seek to lead us and guide us in accordance with your word and put them in positions of power and authority over us. Lord, have your hand upon our government, we pray. We bring no political agenda before you. We seek only those to be in positions of power who seek your will, your face, and your precepts. Lord, these are the things we bring before you, and we pray that you will hear and answer them in the coming weeks. We pray, Lord, for the many situations throughout the world. Our minds are continually on the Ukraine because it's so often on our news bulletins. We pray for that country, the terrible destruction and, and brutality that it is suffering at the moment. We pray, Almighty God, that you would even now bring a cessation to that in some miraculous way that you would intervene and cause the forces of Russia to withdraw and that peace may once again be brought to that troubled land. We pray especially though there in that land for our Christian brothers and sisters who are seeking to do what they should do, seeking to be a good testimony, seeking to be a good witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the extremity that you have permitted them to pass into. Bless then our brothers and sisters in that land, we pray. May they be a light to those around them. May they know your special help and your special blessing at this time of extreme trial. Lord, these are the things we pray for. We pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon President Putin to do a mighty work in his heart that cause him to have a complete change of mind. Lord, it would be our desire that you would cause him to cry out for, for forgiveness and for salvation and come in repentance to his God. We do not know whether he acknowledges there is a God. We see him make a public declaration in some form or other we fear that is just for political gain. We pray then, Almighty God, that in your mercy to that nation, that you would raise up for them a God-fearing leader as we pray for ourselves. Lord, the, we think of the words of John Newton, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. We are praying for your omnipotent power to work in ways that we are, would cause the world to hold its breath and to understand that God is able to work even in such wicked men. We are not unmindful, Lord, of the many situations throughout this world where there is such suffering as well, and we would in some ways seek to bring every one of them before you. Lord, on a more personal note for this fellowship here, we are so thankful to see Jackie amongst us. You have brought her through a very serious operation and given her sufficient strength that she can be here. It rejoices my heart to see her. I'm sure it rejoices many hearts to see her. We pray, Lord, your hand will be upon her, and that you will give her all the strength and understanding that she needs in future days. Be with her and Gary. Be with them as they have a, a significant part in the responsibility of this place. Bless them, and bless any others here who are unwell and not known to me. Lord, we would not leave one out. We bring them before you, lay them at your feet. And as we read this just now,
Those who came to you who are blind and lame, you healed. We pray your healing upon each and every one here who may be sick. We ask these things in your name. We ask all of them for your glory. And ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless us now in the remainder of our service. Amen. <coughs> well, our next hymn this morning is hymn number 467. And will the judge descend, and must the dead arise, and not a single soul escape his all-discerning eyes? Hymn number 467. Sorry I made so many mistakes when reading, although I've been trying to preach for a number of years, I still get so nervous standing here, and I make one mistake and then others always come after it. Our thoughts this morning, I want to centre on a small phrase that we read together in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, and it's in verse 10. Matthew, verse 21, verse 10. And the city was moved, saying... Who is this? Who is this? 
Absalom had sent for Joab on two occasions. Absalom had betrayed his father, tried to take his father's throne, and then had been um, evicted from Jerusalem and gone to live elsewhere. And after some time, he longed to be back in Jerusalem. He colluded with Joab, and Joab got him to come back to Absalom's own house in Jerusalem. And then he wanted to speak to David, his father, again. And as we read, for two full years he lived in Jerusalem, but he still had never met up with his father. And so on two occasions when Absalom sent for Joab to say to Joab, I want you to go and talk to my father, be an intermediary, Joab hadn't responded. Finally, he sends his servants and sets on fire um, Joab's fields. That got his attention. Wicked as he was, we can see God's gracious dealings with his people. And God uses all sorts of means to gain our attention. Knowing our obstinacy sometimes, knowing how reluctant we are to pay attention to God, sometimes he uses drastic means to get our attention and bring us to him. He sets barley fields alight if necessary. I don't know what he's done in your life. Maybe if you were able to give your testimony, there would be occasions when he did dramatic things sometimes in your life to get your attention. He doesn't always do that. I pray this morning that God will speak to you this morning and speak mercifully to you. The burden of souls rests heavily upon my heart. I make no attempt to disguise that. It's there almost all the time. May God get your attention this morning. I know some of you by face. I think I know all of you by face. But I don't know which of you are believers which of you are seekers, which of you as yet are unbelievers. I do not know that. I pray that you will not be permitted to die as an unbeliever. That's my overriding concern for each and every one. Have you not had sufficient warnings? Have you not heard the word of God enough times? Have you not known great grace, undeserved favor in your life? Can you not look back over various occasions and see how the Lord has dealt with you? Has he not brought you through many difficult circumstances and still you're here today? Have you not sinned against him again and again and he has withheld judgment even again? I know and you know that not one of the Lord's people will be lost but I do not know who the Lord's people are. He has wisely hidden that from us. Yet I wonder sometimes what it will take to get the attention of people who hear. I don't mean just politely listen. I mean to get your attention, to pay attention to these serious things. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you lukewarm? Have you come along just because it's what you do on a Sunday morning? Are you being, is your life so busy sometimes with many other concerns? They, they choke your life. Are you relaxed about coming? Sometimes you come, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't make the effort to come midweek. I know there are extenuating circumstances to all of that, but some don't make the effort when they should. Are you the Lord's person today? Can you say, by his grace, I am the Lord's? Or will it take him to set light to your barley fields, to utterly bring some terrible thing into your life to get your attention do you consider it a small thing that Jesus Christ came into this life and bled and died to take away sin? 
Sometimes we think that, particularly at Easter time, we think of, the, of Gethsemane and the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. And he asked and prayed, let this cup be taken from me. Jesus Christ was a man, and I want to say this as reverently as I'm able, thousands of men were crucified. There was something extra that the Lord Jesus Christ was facing. I cannot begin to understand the incredible pain that crucifixion is. None of us can. But there was something more than that that Jesus Christ suffered. What was in the cup that made him fall to the ground? What was in that cup that made him, the Son of God, collapse? And God, his Father, sent a created being to sustain the Creator. What was in that cup? It was the wrath of God. And that's what he suffered on the cross in those three hours of darkness. It wasn't just a physical suffering, intense and incomprehensible as that is to us. It was of a different order. And he suffered that wrath that we deserve. We deserve it eternally. And somehow, in a way we cannot comprehend, God compressed that into three hours and Jesus Christ suffered that. Does this mean nothing to you? His holiness is such that his wrath must be dealt with. He's given us ten commandments. Have you kept the first one? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Not one of us ever has, has we? Not one of us. Why should he forgive us? Why should he set aside our failing self? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Come into glory anyway. I'll forget all of those things. If a judge in this country acted like that, oh, it doesn't matter that you've committed this terrible crime, I'll let you off, we would be indignant. Do we expect God to behave any differently? God has a vast arsenal of means that he uses to draw us to himself. Sometimes with loving kindness. Sometimes he, he, he just overwhelms you with his love and you feel drawn to him by that. Sometimes by taking away or touching something of you, maybe your health or your wealth or your family or your homes or your reputation. Or your, he has so many ways that he can gain your attention. What will it take to gain your attention? Do you not know the words in Hebrews, Hebrews 9:27? It is allotted unto man once to die and therefore the judgment. Do you think about judgment day sometimes? I'm not suggesting you be morose. I want you to think seriously about these things. Every one of us has got to stand before Jesus Christ on that day. Are you ready for that day? Will you stand there and say, in a way that you can't comprehend, my Lord and my God? Or will you stand there in abject fear and terror because you have rejected him all these times? Can you read these things without trembling? If you speak of some people about these things, they say, oh, I have no need of God. I have no need of Jesus Christ. You almost want to say to them, are you a fool? Are you a complete fool? One day you will stand before him. It would be better that there was no God than to say that. But there is. Creation's voice declares it. I know it's very hot today, but isn't creation beautiful? I mean, I've driven just here from Ringma, and the fields are getting towards harvest. There is a beauty in creation. 
that cannot possibly be by accident. That cannot be without a divine hand, can it? <clears throat> so one day you will stand before him. I don't know what size shoes you take, but you'll stand there in your shoes, metaphorically trembling. Are you ready for that day? Hell is described as in many ways in scriptures to warn us. God is a God of grace. He warns us again and again and again so that we are without excuse. Yet his love and grace and mercy are such that none can ever ask too much. We can always come back to him. Have you sinned this last week? I have. Have you sinned this last week? We can come back to him again this morning and say, Lord, forgive. And he will forgive. <clears throat> have you never come to him seriously in reality? You can come this morning and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <clears throat> there was on that day in Jerusalem a very strange spectacle a strange procession was coming into the city that day the Lord had told his disciples to go to a certain place and there they would find a colt and they went to that place and there was the colt and he said loose it and bring it to me there was no saddle to put on it, so they put their clothes on the back of the animal and Jesus Christ sat on the animal and walked into Jerusalem. So coming into that city on that day was a very strange procession, a man sitting on a colt and a dozen ordinary men going along beside him. On Coronation Day, we've been thinking about our Queen a lot, haven't we, recently? On Coronation Day, there is a tremendous prestige and a spectacle, I think, in some ways, this country is able to do that better than any other country. We see the world and his wife, as we describe them, coming into the city. We see gold and jewels and diamonds and the very best of clothing. We see lords and ladies. We see what we refer to as the great and good on that day of coronation. Here was just an ordinary man on a colt, not even a full-grown animal, with a dozen motley crew of men with them. It must have been almost comical to have seen that. Remember, they are under the authority of the Romans. They know how Romans behave. When a Roman general comes back from the war, he comes into the city in power and prestige. Here, Jesus is coming on a colt. So it's a mock parade, it seems. It's a, a spectacle that would have grabbed your attention if you'd have been there. You would have found it almost amusing, I think. No wonder the city was moved to say, who is this? You can imagine the conversation in the crowds as they were milling around. It's getting towards Passover. The, the population of Jerusalem is beginning to increase as that day came on. Who is this? Christianity is centered in and about one individual person. So what's your answer to this question this morning? Who is this? How will you answer that question if somebody were to come and ask you this morning, who is this man coming in on this cult? How would you answer? If you were in that city amongst that crowd watching it, what answer would you have given if the person standing beside you said, excuse me, who is this? How would you have answered? How do you answer today? When the Lord asked disciples earlier on, his disciples said, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. 
And then Jesus was more pointed. He said, but who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't satisfied with their answer. He wanted them to tell him exactly who they was. And he said, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter, being the impetuous one, said, thou art the Christ. On Mount Carmel, Elijah, in essence, asked the very same question. He said, if the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. And the people answered not a word. There comes a time when you have to make a choice. Who is this? How do you answer that question? <clears throat> Joshua too asked in essence the same question. If it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you come and answer who this man Jesus Christ is or will you ignore it once again? I fear some still answer not a word. Here in the city of Jerusalem are a number of people. The city of David, their greatest king, has just coming in on a cult. The multitude said, in verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. <clears throat> so that's what the, the people at the time thought it was and that was the answer they gave. In the evening, we already left to go to Bethany. It doesn't say here, but I think that's when he went to go and stay with Mary, Martha and Lazarus for the last time. That family he loved and he used to go there when he was in Jerusalem. He knew who he was, they knew who he was because when Lazarus had died they sent for him and they called him and they were disappointed because he waited two days before he came. But they knew exactly who he was because they had seen him bring their brother back to life again. The Jewish leaders, they knew their scriptures so well. They knew who he was, or did they? They should have known who he was. They could see, have seen so easily how he fulfilled everything in accord with Moses and the prophets. They knew all of these things. Here he is fulfilling one small prophecy. There is nothing in scripture that's incidental, nothing that's minor. But to my understanding, it's a minor um, prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, which says he will come on a cult. In the scale of everything that was to take place that Jesus Christ would do, you would think, well, that's a minor prophecy. It was, but it was fulfilled absolutely. The Jewish leaders would have known all these prophecies. They were very willing to quote their Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't put two and two together and say, here's another indication we need to be careful how we respond to this man. Pilate knew, and he was so anxious that morning. His wife had especially sent him a word on the day of the interrogation and said to him, have nothing to do with this man. I have suffered much. Pilate knew, to some extent, who this man was. Yet when in fear of the mob and the Jews who were at fever peach pitch that weekend, that Passover weekend, he sent him to be crucified. He gave the order, crucify him. He placed an inscription over Jesus' head on the cross. It was the tr tradition or the pattern that the, those who were crucified, a plaque was put above their head to tell, describe what their crime was so that those going by would be warned, if you do this crime, this is the punishment that you will receive. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Uh, Pilate put the inscription above his head, 
the king of the Jews. And the Jews were very anxious, cross about that, angry about it, and said, don't say Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Say, he said I am. And Pilate asked, answered, what I have written, I have written. I think that Pilate had a deeper understanding of who this man was than the Jews and the leaders there did on that day. Peter, after this riding in on the donkey, on the colt, was to very soon say, I do not know this man. A young girl comes up to him, and he's frightened by the young girl's question. And he asks, I know not the man. He knew. He was the one who earlier on had said, Thou art the Christ. He knew deep down. But under the extreme pressure and fear, he in essence denied Jesus Christ. The crowd had laid down clothing and palm branches. Who did they think he was? They must have had some understanding that he was someone special to have done that. Maybe it's because they knew that he was the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe it was that reason we're not told. The Pharisees thought he was a blasphemer and a usurper and thus had a particular hatred towards him. That was their concern. He is a sinner. They saw him eating with a sinner, actually in his home. And worse than that, they saw a lady of ill repute come and wash his feet and dry his, his feet with the hair of our hands. And they said, if he was anybody, he would have known that he'd gone to eat with a sinner. He would have known who this, this lady was. He would not have done, permitted that to have happened. They did not like their religion being attacked. They did not like it even being questioned. They puffed out their chest and said, we are Abraham's children. So proud of their heritage. Those of us with a Christian upbringing, we need to guard against that. We can slip into that. We can be proud of our heritage. I don't think any of us are, but it's something we need to guard against. I'm very thankful that two, I've got a number of very good men friends and two of them had no Christian upbringing at all and I find that a tremendous encouragement. God is no respecter of persons. If you've had a Christian upbringing, it's a wonderful blessing and you should be thankful for it. But that does not make you a Christian. And you need to pay heed to that. You cannot say on judgment day, but my parents and my grandparents were godly people. No. It has been rightly said that God has children, but he has no grandchildren. You cannot be a Christian because of your forebears. If you have them, be thankful for them. However imperfect they were, like we're imperfect. They did the best they could, and we in our generation do the best we could, and the following generation will find fault with us as we did with them. That's incidental. Are you a Christian this morning? You need to ask these questions. <clears throat> So he came into the city as a king, in fact a colt. It was a very strange combination. It was not a war horse that they would have expected him to come in, but quietly sitting on a colt. So who can answer our question this morning? Our question is, who is this? Where can we go to get an answer to this question? A question that we all need and must answer. Let's go back a few years. There's a young maiden sitting at home pondering and an angel comes to her and tells her, Fear not, behold, 
Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a child and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Eight days later, after he has been born, sorry, eight days, not later, eight days after he has been born, she takes him up to the temple to fulfill all that was required of them there. Of the child that must be, the certain procedures they had to go through, particularly with a male child. There's an old man there, stooped, slow of step. He's a very godly man. He's been there for years, waiting and waiting and waiting. God had told him he would not die until he saw the salvation, until he saw the Lord's Christ. And that morning, I think it was a morning, and that morning a young Jewish girl comes in with a babe in her arms. And Mary puts that babe in his arms. And Simon looks down and his heart almost bursts. You can almost imagine this old godly man looking down and holding this young babe in his arms. And he looks down. Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen the Lord. That, that what he had been promised all those years, this old man knew who he was. The crowd in Jerusalem didn't. Pilate may or may not have done. He had some inkling. The religious leaders didn't know. This godly old man knew. And now he was ready to go. Lord, now let me depart. You can take me home now, Lord. You fulfilled your promise to me. He knew. <clears throat> some 30 years later on, Jesus goes down to the Jordan River, doesn't he? And there's his cousin baptizing. And his cousin said, I indeed baptize with water, but there one cometh after me whose shoes latch it I'm not worthy to unloose. So John had been told. He wasn't just his cousin and knew him growing up. John knew exactly who this man was. He could answer the question, who is this? And as Jesus came up out of the water, there were a number of people there, and a voice was heard to say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the crowd there had witness as to who this man was. This is the Lamb of God. But I must press you. Who do you say that this man is? How will you answer this morning? Is he just a religious figure from some 2,000 years ago who said many wonderful things and countless thousands, millions of people respect him for that. They say he was a good man, he gave us good morals, he set good patterns of life. Is that as far as you can go? They say he was a man of quick understanding and knowledge and no one could gainsay. That's all he was. Or is he God in the flesh? Is he who he claims to be? You need to answer this question in your own heart. Who is this? Is he God or is he just a man? We know that he is both God and man and we cannot fully comprehend that but we believe it passionately. I trust you do. But we can't fully comprehend that. The crowd soon changed their mind. They had seen him coming into Jerusalem. They'd laid down their clothes, laid down palm branches and were shouting hallelujah, hosanna to the son of David. It isn't many days when the same mob is crying, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle the heart of man is, the heart of woman is. 
What do you say this morning to this question? <clears throat> I ask you again, who is this? Your answer, eternity, depends upon it. The day may come very soon for you or for me to breathe our last and stand before him. How do you answer this question? Who is this? Eternity is referred in a hymn to a tremendous sound. <clears throat> we cannot comprehend eternity, can we? We always think of something finite. Our lives seem long when we're young, but we even, we, even when we're young, we know they will come to an end. Eternity will never end. It's beyond our human comprehension. But how important it is to know where you will spend that eternity. It's summertime. Some of you may be hoping to go away for a few days' holiday. It's wonderful that we can do that, those who are able to. And when that time comes, you plan when you're going, you plan what you're going to take, you try and find out something of the place you hope to go to, you investigate it, don't you, so that you maximize your stay there. Do you take no thought of where you're going to spend eternity? Does that not resonate in your heart day after day, whether you're young or old? Do you not think of heaven? Do you not think of hell? Do you not spend your days? I don't mean every day. We're all busy. But do you not think of your days as well? I'm only here for a while. Where will I spend that time? Where will it be? You need to answer this question this morning. Who is this? Because your answer depends upon your answer depends where you will spend eternity. There is one last witness that I want to call to answer our question. Jesus Christ is there on the cross. There are many around them. And they are intrigued, many of them, by how this man dies. <coughs> the Roman centurion is there. He's a battle-hardened man, from my understanding. When the Romans took over a country, they would put some of their older soldiers who weren't quite fit enough to be on the battlefield, and they would put them, as it were, in a policing capacity so that every country that overran, there would be a number of soldiers there to act, as you like, as the militia, the police force. And so this centurion, no doubt, had been on the battlefield, was probably had seen much bloodshed, much bitterness, much fighting. He was an experienced man. I said earlier that they crucified thousands, the Romans. This was almost an everyday occurrence for him. I'm not, that may be exaggerating slightly. It was a frequent occurrence. He was staggered by this man. As they crucified him, he prayed. Now, you can imagine, in my understanding, the cross was laid down, the victim was laid down and then they nailed the victim to the cross before they put it upright. That's how I understand it happened. You can imagine that the men they crucified, I don't think they crucified women, I don't know, would have cursed and sworn and uttered terrible blasphemies and obscenities. And in one level you can almost understand that and almost sympathize with that. Almost. What were the words from this man's lips? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This centurion witnessed that. He witnessed three hours of darkness. 
whether he witnessed the graves opening, not, I don't know whether how close that was. He witnessed so much. He witnessed the seven sayings of Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He heard them and listened to them. He heard him say to the man beside him, Today you will be with me in paradise. He'd never heard a crucified man speak to another crucified man like this. In answer to our question, who is this? What answer did the centurion give? Truly, this was a righteous man. What answer do you give? Amen. <clears throat> Let's sing together our closing hymn this morning. Hymn number 194. Who is this so weak and helpless, child of lowly Hebrew maid, rudely in a stable sheltered, coldly in a major laid? Hymn number 194.
Almighty God, we pray this morning that you will so work in each and every one of our hearts that we must answer that question, who is this? By the simple yet deep, profound answer, my Lord and my God. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.